0: Welcome to Rethinking Neurodiversity, a podcast looking at the history, triumphs and challenges of divergent thinking. We're your hosts, Fran and Eileen, and together we'll be talking to neurodivergent advocates, experts and those with lived experience to rethink the narrative around neurodiversity.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Noetic Health, the intelligent neurodiversity app for adult ADHD, autism, dyslexia and dyspraxia.
0: In this episode, we speak to Jackie Schultz an art therapist and late identified or We talk about her work as an art therapist with late identified neurodivergent people and how helpful a creative outlet can be. We also discuss the lack of training and education around neurodivergence within the mental health field as a whole and the importance of finding the right therapist for you. Hello lovely great to have you jackie thanks so much
1: for joining us
2: oh thank you for having me
1: we'd love to kind of talk about your experience as someone who's been who kind of identified and got diagnosed with adhd and then autism or was it autism and then adhd would love to kind of have uh, an overarching introduction as to who you are and your journey as a your journey in neurodivergence that feels like a very big question. (laughs) I think I can do this. I,
2: I think what I'll choose where I'll choose to start is that I always sensed something was different about me, but not in a good way. Like I always felt like, why am I so emotional? Why do I think so much? And yeah, I just felt, felt something was wrong with me. And so I went to therapists, I think starting pretty much when I got to college. And so in my early twenties, started going to therapists and usually my diagnoses were just depression or anxiety. And then, you know, scooting up more towards the end of my twenties, cause I moved all over the world, frankly, <laughs> through my twenties. And so I was constantly having, you know, different providers. And when I really hit a dark period in my late twenties, right after my mom died, I was like, okay, I really need. figure this out and I went and that's when I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder which I want to emphasize this as part of my journey because I think misdiagnosis is so common for many late identified autistics and borderline is such a stigmatized diagnosis as well and anyways luckily I pursued another therapist that I worked with and she was like hey you're you're not borderline you've just gone through some things (laughs) so she really helped me address more of like the trauma in my life and like you know the grief of losing my mom and all those things but still even after that it was like but I still feel so much I still think so much like what the am I allowed, I don't, sorry, I was like, oh, I shouldn't swear, but but it was, I was like, what the fuck is going on, (laughs) and so I tried another therapist, and it was an art therapist, and she was the one that at first was, like, suggested autism, which at this point, I was already a counselor, like, I'd already gone to grad school, and what I learned about autism was, like, what's taught in the DSM-5, which that's what we use here in the States to diagnose mental conditions. And so based on that, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm autistic. Like I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, that's so wrong. And then she suggested I read the book, Divergent Mind. And that is the first time I read anything about autism that spoke about what it's like inside like how your emotions are, how your thoughts are. And once I read that, I was like, oh, <laughs> like this actually feels really familiar. And so for a while, I just moved about in the world as self-identified, but then f- finally went for a diagnosis when I was considering doing a PhD program because I wanted accommodations. So that's when I was officially diagnosed and and I intentionally sought out a neuro diverse psychologist because i was you know like i'm like i want someone who gets it and i don't want to be misdiagnosed again and so that's when i was diagnosed with autism and adhd
0: Well, oh, that's quite the journey we often find that like you said late diagnosed autistic people are misdiagnosed earlier in their lives and often that is in girls and women as well i think that self-understanding in itself is a massive journey but then to go through all of these different for lack of a better word like the labels of what's going on yeah, must be super super challenging but i'm glad that you finally come to the place today where you have managed to understand yourself a little bit better and it sounds like that's also how you found art therapy is it because that's what you do now you're an art therapist now
2: yes i am an art wow. therapist so when i went to grad school i did I studied two tracks. I did the mental health counseling and art therapy. And so I have both licenses and registrations, but I, I practice as an art therapist.
0: Oh, brilliant. Maybe this is the opportunity to tell us a bit more <laughs> about yourself now beyond the diagnosis yeah. and what we do now.
2: Yeah. So when I found out I was autistic, I was already in private practice. And at the time I focused on highly intelligent women with high levels of emotion and thought, which is almost like, so as you can imagine, I was seeing so many unidentified autistics without even knowing it, because I knew so, so little about autism. <laughs> so it I don't know, it just all feels so synchronistic that then I found out I was autistic and I was already surrounded by so many without realizing it. So it felt like a very natural transition when I started to openly market for my business that, hey, I work with newly identified autistics. Cause it was kind of like, I'd been doing that all along without <laughs> realizing it. And I, yeah, sorry, I just had
1: 20 thoughts at once right there, but I, w- I will pause there. <laughs> I can totally relate to suddenly having like an, in, an overload of like so many different thoughts and having <laughs> to say so many different things. And then there's like yeah. a traffic jam in your brain. And it's like, it's just nothing, nothing moves. Nothing comes mm-hmm. out. It's like I have lots of thoughts right now, but I am saying nothing because not one of them could squeeze out fast enough. <laughs> yeah. Or
2: like clear enough comes out all garbled.
1: <laughs> and then like three thoughts come kind of come out at the same time. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so- I've also got like five different questions (laughs) yeah I'm just going to pick one at random so can you tell us more about the art therapy that you do with your clients and Mm. the kind of advice and guidance that you give them I'm actually quite new to art therapy I don't really know much about it other than like what assumptions I can make about it so would love to kind of learn more yes
2: so the way I practice right now, cause there's a million ways to practice art therapy, but what I do right now is I only see my clients once a month. And so usually they come to me with some specific concerns. Like I want to understand my autistic self better, or I want to be able to talk to others about my autism better. Like they, there's a whole host of things. And I have like a questionnaire for people. So what we do in session is some art to kind of talk about where they're at and help them fully articulate that but then the exciting part is i give them art things to do like one art activity a week that they can really dive into some of the topics so for instance i had someone who was really needing more rest in their life and so i had them get a stack of magazines and just rip out any image that spoke of rest to them and then at the end i said i wanted them to just lay them all out and make a collage and i know that sounds so simplistic but it's actually really powerful because when you're doing it in that way you can suddenly see like patterns between the things you picked and it gives your mind space to wander in a different way It's So basically what art therapy allows is your brain to function on different levels, as well as like for the subconscious to come up and to see things in a different way. Like, again, this is one of those moments I'm having like 20 thoughts about all the benefits of art therapy, but. So then what happens is when we come back together the next month, we kind of dive into their art and I ask questions and I give them even more insights. And we also talk about the process. And this is something people don't realize about art therapy is that it's not just about the end product. In fact, I'm far more interested in the process of making it. So for instance, if someone doesn't do the art assignment, That is such rich ground for me to be like, well, what came up and like, or what was some of like, what was happening often mirrors kind of like blocks or other patterns in their life of like, you know, the autistic new task inertia we get, or maybe it was overwhelming because the topic's overwhelming or sorry, I know I'm kind of going on for a long period here without giving you all a chance to ask a question I guess I just get so excited. It's brilliant
0: we love hearing the passion it really is shining through. I also don't know much about art therapy so it's been interesting to learn more about it. Do you find that people who really benefit from it are typically people who have been interested in art previously or interested in expressing themselves? artistically previously or do you think it has no relationship to that
2: without a doubt I definitely attract people who like art (laughs) but I also emphasize that I'm an expressive art therapist so that means I do all modalities like writing poetry music movement and so I've had some people come that are like I don't like art (laughs) like visual art I'm like, that's okay. Like I can give you a shit ton of writing things, don't you worry. (laughs) Or I've even had some that don't even want assignments. They just want a chance to be with someone who gets it and to really talk through things in session. And really I'm doing everything I can to meet them where they're at.
0: And if that's where they're at, that is fine with me. That's super interesting. I personally would not say I'm a particularly arty person, (laughs) but what I've actually come to learn, I never used to do anything really with my hands or anything like that. But Kind of in the past couple of years, I found that cooking is like a really nice Mm. outlet for me to be doing something with my hands. And I've also tried a bit of crocheting as well, which has also really helped, Uh, but it's quite interesting To see the way your mind processes different things, even if you don't think you're dealing with that thing in that moment in time, it's that
1: it's that process of just doing something tactile,
0: and with our hands
1: and like the process, the creative process of actually building something or creating something. It kind of gives us several layers of kind of affirmation and catharsis, I suppose.
2: Yeah, well, and even the example of crochet. Think about like when you're in the shower, and sometimes like that's when you get new ideas for some. For some people, kind of like it, it's that place where you're just automatically doing something else that your brain can wander. And same with crochet. If you're just like la 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 la, <laughs> your your brain can like wander a bit. And I think as neurodivergent people, our brains need a lot of space to be able to wander. And it's it's good for us. I just also wanted to add one last thing about, well, probably not last, but one other thing about art therapy that I really try to emphasize with my clients is that, well, actually, I don't tell them this, but I'm doing it. (laughs) I really want to bring more joy and excitement into their life. So I'm also designing things that they're excited to do or I'm trying like I have some clients all the assignments I give them are just about getting them to play and to have fun and to kind of you know our lives as late identified autistics many of us had very heavy heavy emotional lives and coming into our identity we start to understand and kind of build a new reality and so many times we haven't had as many experiences of getting to just be and that it's okay to like be into whatever weird ass thing we're into like and so like sometimes I give people assignments to like buy this material you've never used and just play with it kind of thing and I pick a material that I'm like 98% sure they'll like kind of thing based on who they are and so I think that's another part of it. It's like, as soon as you find something that you're like, oh, this is fun. It's like suddenly other parts of
1: you are like, I want
2: more fun. And it just like radiates out.
1: That's so true. And that's such a good point about a lot of lay identified neurodivergent. Our lives have been really challenging and Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of pain and confusion and a lot of seriousness. And even if there there are probably times of enjoyment and play, it doesn't come with that kind of foundational layer of self-acceptance and self-compassion and so kind of building that now while also experimenting with what things that we enjoy and kind of letting go of those layers of shame and like oh why do I like this and like why can I not do that Um, yeah and just and kind of being more present with enjoying life in various settings my recent obsession is with duolingo oh yeah yeah (laughs) what are you
2: what language are you learning
1: Italian, Spanish, and French at the same time. <laughs> of, the course, of course, and then, then they've got, like a maths one, which I've now dived into. So I've opened up a bunch. Oh, and Chinese as well. So Chinese, Spanish, French, and Italian. It's
2: great. Wait, it's does so... your mind not like confuse them?
1: Yeah, but I oh, still, does. like, oh, like whatever. <laughs> whatever. I mean, <laughs> it's like I do like a day of each, and yeah, I I love it. <laughs> and like all the dings that you get and like doing it on the train and just like having something to do whenever Mm. you're like remotely like bored or like you're on the train or like you're you know i don't know waiting for something it's usually when i'm waiting for something i realize that you spend so much of your time like waiting for something whether it's like on a train or like standing in line for like food for example i'm like i can just go on duolingo now
2: (laughs) i know i'm glad you brought that up because i've been trying to learn hindi through Pimsleur, I don't know if you've heard of Pimsleur, but basically they're an audio training program where you're just practicing conversation and I've hated it. (laughs) I used to love it in the past, but now I'm like, and I think what you're describing sounds so much more fun where I'm like, it's a game, look at me progress. I think I remember,
1: I remember using Duolingo years ago and it was nowhere near as good. Like this is like, they've really cracked the code of how to make it addictive and it genuinely oh, yeah. like, it feels like I'm actually learning the language. Maybe less so, because wow. I'm trying to do three and four at the same time. Yeah. But still, yeah, highly recommend.
2: That's it's encouraging different. that like, they're using technology in such a positive way versus like, you know, they've definitely cracked the code on social media and how to, how to suck us in. But that is, you know, for me at least, not as beneficial as learning a language or like something. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was yeah. thinking it was like, this is definitely, this is definitely an addiction, but it feels like a fairly healthy one, like, right? like learning how to like order food in Italian. This is great.
2: You <laughs> need an app that makes you like addicted to making art.
1: Mm. That'd I, think be cool. was crea- I met someone who was creating that as like a daily like art journal, which is really hmm. cool. And basically it would be yeah. it's meant to be like, it's actually meant to be like art therapy. So like you come on every day and they're like, Hey, draw a camel. So then you like draw a camel and then you see like camels that other people have drawn.
2: See, I, I like that and I'm torn because I do know there's something to having things tactile, especially as neurodivergence, right? Like getting to, I well, actually people can't see my space, but like, I'm surrounded by like paper and scissors and like all sorts of things that like, I think can benefit us in that sensory rich environment, as well as slow us down in a way that digital doesn't necessarily do. Like for instance, Mm. there's an app called Shuffles. It's through Pinterest, it's free, and you can make amazing collages. I highly recommend it, it's very cool. And so easy, you just like drag it with your finger. Anyways. While I love that there is something to getting magazines and literally ripping out the pages with the sound and that it takes a lot longer. It's like sometimes I I do myself need a longer process so my brain is just having more time to explore and think and same with my clients sometimes I'm like don't do not do this online.
0: Yeah, that's it's it's along the lines of what we were saying earlier, I guess, like having that physical movement of your hands and then you kind of get in that mental state where you're focused or where your mind can just go wherever it wants to go. It's slightly different when you're on your phone and when you're doing things digitally. I do agree, like sometimes there's a perfect place for it, but other Mm -hmm. times like you might be getting notifications through like- Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think there's some, there is something pretty special about doing it with your hands as well. And one thing I wanted to jump back to what you were talking about, about making the art therapy fun. I felt like that was such an important thing because so often therapy is associated with trauma and difficult times and thinking about your struggles and your difficulties in your past, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really special that you've managed to create an environment where people can enjoy themselves. And it's like a positive experience and discovering who you are and what works for you. Yeah, and as I'm
2: sure we all know, like trauma work has its place and is necessary at times. It's just not the work I'm doing. So for instance, I do turn away clients that like, are like, hey, I really wanna like get in depth to this past pain. And like someone like that really does need someone who can meet with them weekly. And, you know, a monthly format where, you know, you don't want to like trauma dive and then like you're on your own for a month. Good luck. (laughs) So I think too, like the structure of what I'm doing lends itself more to the joy component.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that must be nice for you as well. Getting to share that joy with other people and seeing their progress as well.
2: Yeah, I it's so fun after a month to be like, what have they made (laughs) and to like see where they're at and. I do think therapy is starting to feel better for me as well. For a long time, debated if I could even remain a therapist because I feel things so deeply and think so deeply as a neurodivergent that my my work does impact me a lot and impacts my energy levels. And so I've had to experiment a lot with what did and didn't work for me. And this is finally the first structure that is feeling like it really works for me.
0: That's really good to hear. And one thing you've mentioned, probably not not so far in the conversation we've had right now, but is how the field of mental health doesn't really train people very well about neurodivergence. So I was wondering whether you could expand a little bit more on that potentially and kind of your oh, yeah. experience <laughs> of that compared to yes. what you were trained.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the States, so I can really only speak to what happens in the States, through my experience and those of like, I know like a ton of therapists. And so really what it is in a master's of counseling or a master's of social work, or, you know, those kinds of programs where you're becoming a therapist, you're given a really broad education because it's only two years. We can't get into all the conditions. Our classes are like, you get one class on like diagnosis and that's all of them. So like, The other classes are really broad things and we don't go in depth with many topics at all. And so really all we're learning is what is in the DSM-5. And if we as counselors want to learn more, we have to self-educate or get it through the experience at an internship site, which, you know, that's kind of like pick of the draw, if you get a good one or not. My experience with autism is perfect. Like I didn't even know I needed to self-educate on autism, kind of like you don't know what you don't know. And so I do like to be very transparent and open about this because people go to therapists thinking you're the expert. And I get it when you're like in such a trauma shocked place, as well as like just struggling you want to be able to like trust that person and give them essentially the power to be like, oh my God, please just help me. But a a lot of times they don't actually know that much. And so that's why I always emphasize to really research your therapist and find someone who is specializing in some capacity because in the States, there's a lot of general practitioners. And what that means is, they're like, hey, I treat everything. And like, like hell you do. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but like I'm sure there's many great ones out there, but like if they're a generalist and you have a specialized concern, I I ew, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard <laughs> like trying to measure my words because I don't want to throw fellow therapists under the bus. And I oh, that's another point I want to emphasize. Like I do not blame therapists. Like it is completely the system, like the way we're educated as well as then like, at least in the States, like the standards of how many hours of clients you see and how low the pay is. Like most therapists I know are exhausted. So there's not like when you have free time, you do not want to go and study more on your own. Like it's, It's just really hard. It is a hard, hard profession. And I don't think people know that going into it. They're like, oh, I want to help people. That's exactly how I was (laughs) not knowing like, holy shit, it's going to be draining as fuck. And I mean, that's why eventually I decided to start a private practice because I was like, this system doesn't work for me. I need something different.
0: Yeah, definitely. A lot of it is kind of in the expected culture and in the training and part of that is like you've mentioned earlier the dsm five yeah that is so negatively focused especially Mm. on neurodivergent conditions and part of me understands it because i'm like it's coming (laughs) from a medical perspective and that's how things have been researched in the past but at the same time you're ignoring such a huge proportion of What someone experiences who's autistic, what someone experiences who has ADHD, you're ignoring so much of that and just focusing on these very specific, mainly negative experiences, or it's, it's described as negative, but it might actually not be negative, like their Mm -hmm. experience of it, it might not be negative, but from like the typical perspective we're saying oh yes that's a negative thing or someone who's written that criteria and I think fundamentally some of that has been from research focusing on males in in the past white men white cis men and that's also I think resonates with why when you look at the DSM five and you thought oh that can't possibly be me A lot of women, I think, experience that. And it's often why women are more likely to be late diagnosed just because they look at the DSM-5 and they, they don't resonate with that either because they weren't included when that was being created.
2: Yeah. I love your point about positives not being included either. Like that's one of my favorite things to explore with my clients is like, I think almost every autistic trait has a positive and a negative like even something that I struggle with so much like I have digestive pain and that is tied to autism because my body gets more activated. like my nervous system gets more activated easily as an autistic and that causes the stress response to happen and which causes like digestive pain and so yeah it sucks but I could also see it as a positive and that like my body is very responsive to my environment and so like I almost well I don't want to say canary in the coal mine I don't know if you've heard of that analogy but like I love that
1: phrase neurodivergent people are the canaries in the coal mine of our capitalist world yes but I also don't want
2: us to be just for other people right like I want to be the canary for myself as well that like If I'm getting digestive pain, it's, I can kind of use it as a way to be like, Hey, like what's going on in my life right now. Let me slow down to see like why my stress levels are higher. And sometimes those stress things aren't negative. For instance, like I recently moved across the country and holy, oh my God, my body was like, I had like greater migraines and stomach stuff. And like. I was really happy to move, but it's still a big change. And my in body interpreted that as stress, but it still helped me to slow down. I really did. I took a month long creative sabbatical, just be like, get a break to rest and just be, cause I was like, my body was just like, you need this.
1: Some people take sabbaticals and see it as a break from work like our our traditional work but kind of framing it as a way of exploring our creative selves I think is is such a great period to have in our lives and something that we often don't give ourselves because do we ever really have time for creative outlets in this really (laughs) hectic world that we live in and so it's kind of like either we work or we rest. And what about, like, you know, the spiritual side and the creative side? When I think it's so
2: powerful for us as autistics to have nothing on our schedule. Like, prior to my sabbatical, I always made sure to have what I call the no plans day, where I had no plans at least one day a week because autistics, you know, we're always thinking ahead and anticipating and planning. And so having a no plans day gives your head a break. And it kind of brings back a little bit of excitement. Like you wake up and you're like, what shall I do today? Anything I want. (laughs) And it was kind of from that, that eventually I was like, I'm taking a whole month. And I did. I mean, I wouldn't schedule any, I didn't schedule any meetings and I'm not talking about clients. I'm talking about like anybody. I was like, nope, it's my sabbatical. And literally had nothing scheduled for an entire month, which was, the first time in my life, I think, cause even as a kid, you know, you're getting dragged to school or, dra- <laughs> or in my case, I grew up very religious, so dragged to church or whatever. And so this is the first time I just got to wake up and like, it was the best feeling to be like, oh my God, I have another week of this. <laughs> and I found ironically that like, I have never been more prolific I I thought I would like sleep the whole month (laughs) in a way, but like, I ended up sleeping far less and my body and brain just got more and more excited to create. And I just made so much more art and writing than I ever made. So it's great. Highly recommend it.
1: (laughs) Isn't it funny that when we're in our like day to day work lives and sleep feels like or we just get really tired. And sometimes we wake up and we're still tired. It's like our brains are Mm. constantly dying and it gets the weekend. And sometimes I have never felt more energized than on a Saturday or Sunday, but then, and this isn't like necessarily in the last year, but like, you know, over the course of the last 10 years, I'll be so energized over the weekend. And then it goes back to work and it's just like depleted. (laughs) again. And so imagine having like a month break where it's basically a month long weekend. That sounds so ideal.
2: Yeah, I want to acknowledge too, like the role of privilege, and that I'm not just telling everyone take a month off. I understand how unrealistic that is for many people. And I could not have done that at other periods of my life, like financially, (laughs) could not have done it. It took a long time of being in my private practice and really siloing away money (laughs) to, and be willing to make less money for a month. Like, you know, like, it's not when you don't work for a month, that's also, you don't get income for that month. And so it did take a lot and not just financially, but also to be okay with, I get a month break. Like I dealt with a lot of guilt at first of like, who am I to get this? And knowing so many other people are out there struggling to just get by and here I am just like, chilling in my house all day (laughs) I'm like painting and writing and just glorious things for me but it was good I needed time to look at that and I think the month for me was about pouring out a lot of things that needed to come out
0: yeah it sounds pretty amazing that you've managed to have that time and that kind of self-reflection I think one of the things I would struggle with is if a lot of my I don't wanna say self-esteem, but a lot of my like value that I put upon myself is connected to my productivity and is connected to like achieving something in my day. So I feel like for me, I would really struggle have no plan really I don't think I ever wake up and don't have a plan but then maybe that's something that I need to spend <laughs> some time doing and would find really helpful in my life but I like yeah. to get up and like I need to have three things planned for the day and then that will be that makes me feel like more comfortable myself but I guess that's the kind of process of learning more about yourself that you can have that time and just do what what you feel is right I guess yeah
2: Well, and I want to tie that to late identified autism as well, because many of us make it to, you know, our 20s, 30s, 40s and on, (laughs) not being diagnosed because we know how to mask, we know how to get by in society, which often means like we're praised for our productivity, we're praised for getting things done. And so for so long, you know, that's one way we can fit in. And at least for me, it definitely was like, you know, I was the A student and I got my projects all done. And like, I, yeah, just like you, I definitely, and I still do. It's not like, Ooh, look at me. I'm so much better. I mean, things keep coming up and I did on my sabbatical. I had to read books that were reinforcing what I was doing. Like I read laziness does not exist. I read how to do nothing. <laughs> like, Books like that to kind of, like you said, all these things that I, I'm like, oh no, I should this, I should that, or maybe this. And I read books to reinforce what I was doing so I could calm my brain the fuck down
0: and let myself just be. I'm going to have to look those books up. They sound uh, <laughs> pretty exciting. And yeah. speaking of books, I heard that you might be publishing one. Yes. Yeah. Well okay so people who don't know me
2: I write daily on Medium essays and I just do it because I love it and really what I'm doing is processing the experience of being late identified as well as the common things I'm hearing from my newly identified clients so for instance I published an essay yesterday that was what are the things we can and not we can and cannot change as autistics so I'm looking at like these topics that we all deal with. And yeah, I finally decided to take a selection of my essays and pull them into a book because I get that not everybody wants to read through a bunch of essays on the internet. And furthermore, as autistics, we often need structure and we need an organizational way to read things. So I've also arranged the book in a way that it's basically for someone who's brand new to autism. And they're like, what does this mean for me? And so I go through the beginning of like, okay, what is autism and how does it impact the different parts of our life from, you know, our mind to our emotions, to our body, to the sensory, to all these different categories and, you know, really examining, like, what does it mean to be autistic? And so that, yes, that comes out January 29th of 2024.
0: Exciting. What's it called?
2: It's called like, oh yeah, I should probably say that, right? It's called <laughs> life as a late identified autistic.
0: I'm definitely read that I think it's really helpful for people to see other people having gone through that process and feel less alone, I guess, when they're going through that as a late identified autistic. <laughs>
2: I was just going to say one quick thing about the book in that I have a very specific way that I like reading. Like I like short chapters. I like like things that like keep me moving. And it was hard to find that when I was newly diagnosed. And so that's also one reason I wanted a book that's like, my chapters are like one to three pages, (laughs) but it's like, you can really just like move on through. (laughs) And I wanted to say one other thing. I am working with an editor who's also autistic. I have uh, Vanessa Plester. I love her. And it makes such a difference to have someone who's autistic, reviewing my work, who already gets what it means and can like, help me make sure my messages are coming through. And I just want I'm not plugging anything here. I'm just saying to my fellow autistics out there, it makes such difference to work with someone who gets it. It's almost like you're taking this energy load of having to explain yourself and justify yourself and make things clear and just like setting that aside. It's just grand. So yeah, that's all on that.
0: Eileen you've also said kind of similar things about that in working with neurodivergent people like in a more typical workplace and how helpful that's been and not having to explain yourself as well haven't you?
1: Yeah it's just good to work with other people who think like you or think and think and operate like you so that on one level you're validated but then it's also great to work with people who don't think and work like you so that you can kind of Bring different brains into a into a room and kind of make up for each other's kind of strengths and challenges Mm. but yeah i can definitely imagine that having an autistic editor just makes the whole experience so much more joyful yeah well she
2: even like when she makes an edit she explains why like if it's a content edit which for someone who's autistic you know we're always like well why and so it's like she even knows how to work with me and so that's fantastic But I did think of one thing I want to plug. So I have this grand idea of doing a book tour, autistic style, because I can't do like a two-week book tour that where you do a bunch of events in one time. No, I would like collapse from lack of energy. So I'm making all of 2024 my book tour in a slow casual way where like Do a neuroinclusive book tour. Yes. No, that's what I'm doing. And so even the book events aren't going to be like, oh, come listen to me talk in this big space. It's gonna be four to five people, we meet around a table and we're gonna do art together, like a collage, like we can all work on like a collage of our autistic identity and just casually be with each other. And so like my plan is anywhere I travel just by like seeing my family, I'm gonna try to get an event there, set up as well as like this is the plug if you are listening to this and you want me to come to your area and would be happy to host it like say on your back patio or maybe at your library or maybe your therapist and you have a little space like invite me (laughs) like I would be happy to come and like free like I'm not trying to make money I just want to connect and like try this experiment like is this possible (laughs) So kind of like my own fun exploration of like, yeah, can
0: this happen? That's such a great idea. And
1: also I was thinking that have you thought about doing like an exhibition of your art therapy that you've had with your clients and basically like all the art that's created, if uh, any of them are comfortable sharing? you create like kind of uh, pop-up exhibition or something.
2: I know, right? Yes, definitely in the future, but I'm not organized or ready for that now. Like, because that would also be <laughs> a lot of paperwork with my clients being like, there's a lot of rules within art therapy about, and not just rules, There, are ethics around, you know, even me asking someone, a client who might feel they owe me something to show their work. And so I'm not ready to navigate all that yet. <laughs> Fair
0: enough.
1: Food for thought for some, some yeah. point No, life. thank you. I do like ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jackie. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you and would love to hear about how the book goes when it's out in january right yeah yep. great
2: january
1: 29th it's amazing yeah thank you thank
2: you I'm for having
1: me this has it been i been... like outros <laughs> i'm just like well thank you thank you for that that <laughs> was really great thank you <laughs>
2: <I know. laughs> oh my gosh but that's so true of autism right i always find the end of conversation so awkward like bye now <laughs> i've
1: never felt so heard and seen <laughs> <laughs> Is it just me i'm really bad at like outros so fran i'll let you wrap up the phone if you like <laughs> okay well
2: so we're gonna do our awkward end to our conversation here to stay true to our autistic identities so yeah that's it bye now
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of rethinking neurodiversity we're always open to your thoughts and feedback so please feel free to email hello at noetic.health or get in touch through our social media Please follow, rate, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. See you next time.